So, so, all right. I think we're all set here. So, Jesus is walking along on the way to Jerusalem. And he's going in between Samaria and he's going into Galilee. And on this walk, he looks out and as he's about to enter the city, he sees 10 different lepers that are out there. And the lepers have to be kept away from everybody, away from the people in the city. And these 10 lepers cry out to him and they want to be healed. And so Jesus tells them to go to the temple and to present themselves to the priests. So these 10 lepers leave and they're walking along and they get healed as they're walking along. And one of them stops and he goes back to Jesus and he runs back to Jesus and he falls at his feet and he thanks him for healing him and he praises God for what he did. And Jesus looks at him and he says there was 10 that were cured. He said there's only one that came back to praise God. Only one person came back. Only one person praised God. So if you were there, and if you were one of those ten lepers, so if you were one of the ten, would you be one of the nine or one of the one? <laughs> what would you be? This morning we're going to be looking at praising God. We're going to look at the triumphal entry as Jesus Christ uh, rides into um, uh, Jerusalem. And so I just want to ask this question. When was the last time that you praised God? When was the last time that your, that your heart welled up inside of you and you couldn't contain it, so you started just smiling and you smiled inadvertently and so you looked around to see if anybody saw you so that you wouldn't be embarrassed because of it? When was the last time that you just burst, that you just thought, Jesus, why? Why me? Why me? Maybe it was this morning during the worship time or maybe it was during this week that just passed as you were reading your Bible or another book or going through the devotions. Or maybe you don't remember the last time. Maybe there wasn't a last time that you praised God. But this morning, that's what we want to look at. And so we want to look at Jesus as he rides into this, and we want to see who it is that we praise. And then we want to look at some of the obstacles that prevent us from praising. And then finally, we want to look at how we overcome them and how do we praise God. So let's pray before we uh, get begin. Father God, we come before you, and right now we just uh, come to you uh, in a state of weakness, Lord, because you are the God of, you, of the universe. You created all things, and we can't even really understand that. We can't picture that. We can't just make heads or tails of it, so it's difficult for us to praise you. And Lord, we just ask that you'll be with us this morning. We want to praise you. We want to know you. We want to know why you are worthy of our praise. And we want to know how to praise you. So, Holy Spirit, we just ask that you'll teach us this morning. Words are not enough. We need you. We need your power this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 19, verses 35 uh, through 40. We have an overhead for this, or if you have your Bibles there, again, it's Luke uh, chapter 19, verses 35 through 40. 
And they brought the colt to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on it, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So the people of Israel are waiting for a king. They've been in bondage for centuries now. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and now the Romans are in control. And so they've been without a king for centuries. There are people without a king. And they've been looking for this king. There has a promise that this king would come. It's a king who's going to lead them, who's going to deliver them from their enemies. It's a king from the line of David. And as, we, as they searched through the scriptures, they found certain things that would indicate that this is the king. And in Isaiah, it says this. It says, the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. When John the Baptist wanted to know if Jesus was the Messiah, he sent his disciples to him. And John's disciples go to Jesus and they say, John wants us to know, are you the one? Are you the Messiah or should we look for another one? And Jesus replies to him, he says this. He says, go and tell John what you have seen and what you have heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear and the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. John is convinced that Jesus is the king. John is convinced that he is the Messiah. And so now we have in this... Uh, story today, Jesus is entering Jerusalem. This is the biggest festival of the year for the Jewish nation. This is the Passover that's, that's happening. And Jesus has just sent his disciples to find a colt that has never been ridden. So the disciples go, they find the colt, they bring him back, they set Jesus on him. And the people start to praise him. They're waving palm branches. They're throwing their jackets on the ground so that the colt can walk over it. They don't even want the colt to touch the ground as they're walking in. Because they believe that Jesus is the king who's been promised. They believe that he is the Messiah that's come. They've seen these mighty works that he's done. They've seen the proof. Isaiah said this would happen. They've now seen this with their own eyes, this proof of what he is. And they believe that now is the time that he is going to take his kingship, that he's going to take this kingly role. And they think it's time that he's going to lead him back into the land. He's going to lead him back into the kingdom. There will be no longer will they be in bondage. They're going to be free people. They saw what Jesus did, so they know that he's the Messiah. They know the scriptures, so they know what the Messiah means and what this, what this means. And so they begin to praise God. They begin to glorify God. They saw, they know what it means. And so they say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. But not everyone is rejoicing in this story. The Pharisees deny that Jesus is the Messiah. They don't think that he's the king. And they don't like him because they like their positions of power. They have a system that's set up that's in place. Rome is in charge and they have this. And so 
They think he's a fake. They don't believe in him. So they rebuke Jesus for rebuking, for not rebuking his people. And Jesus replies to them. He says, if these people are silent, if these people don't praise me, the very stones themselves will cry out and will begin to praise God. If the people don't rejoice, if they don't worship, if they don't praise him, the very earth will cry out. The very stones will cry out. Jesus is so praiseworthy. He is so praiseworthy that if people don't praise him, the very earth, the very stones themselves will praise God. Because this is no less than Jesus Christ himself. This is God. He created all things. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He created all things. He sustained all things. He's unchangeable. He's eternal. He is wisdom. He is truth. He is faithfulness. He is goodness. He is loving. He is mercy. He is grace. He is holy. He is the all in all. He's the alpha, the omega. He is the king of kings. And here he is on the back of a colt. He's in front of them. He's riding into Jerusalem for the Passover. And he is the true Passover lamb. This is the single biggest event that ever happens. This is Jesus Christ emptying himself, taking on the form of a servant, being found in human likeness, being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And here we have God highly exalting on him, bestowing on him the name that is above all other names. Is it any wonder then that at this time, that if these people who are watching, if they don't praise God at this moment, that the very earth will praise him? And you know what else? The angels are watching. Just picture this. These angels are watching. They know who Jesus is. And they see what's going on. They've heard what he's said. And they are amazed because Jesus didn't take the form of an angel. And Jesus didn't die for the angels when they sinned, but rather condemned them. And for men, he takes their form. He becomes a man. And he's going to die for them. And the angels will praise God. The stones themselves are willing to praise God. Are you willing to praise God? We sinned against him. We are his enemies. We were dead in our sins. We were condemned to hell forever. And he took our punishment. He suffered for us. He died for us. He saved us for our sins. Will you not praise him for that? We are commanded to praise him. Psalms 32 says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And again in chapter 40, May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. 1 Thessalonians, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. You know, I'm sure that not all the people who were here watching were as equally expressive in their emotion, but they all praised God. I'm sure that there were some that were loud and some that were expressive and some that were more quiet, some that were more reserved, but they all praised God. 
I'm sure that the reserved ones were at least smiling <laughs> when, they were, when they were doing it. And I'm sure that some of them that were there were suffering. I'm sure that some had sick family members at home. I'm sure that some were going through hardship. I'm sure that some were aching inside. But then they see Jesus, and they see him on this colt. They see him riding into this city, and they see Jesus as the answer to God's promise. And they grab the palm branches, and they throw their jackets down in front of him, and they praise God, and they rejoice in him. So I ask again, do you praise God? And if you don't praise God, then why don't you praise God? So what I want to do is take a couple minutes now and just look at what are some of these obstacles that we have towards praising God? Because oftentimes we struggle with this. And so I just want to take it and just kind of unfold a couple of these and look at these. So one of the first reasons for not praising God is that you're not a Christian. How many non-Christians do you know who praise God? There's not a rejoicing in God, but there's a hating of God for those who are not believers. Non-Christians are called enemies of God, and they will suffer the wrath of God. Roman 1 makes that very clear. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For it can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. They are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor God. They did not give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools. So that's one possibility. Another one, another reason for not praising God is that you're living in some secret sin. There's some idol in your heart that you worship more than God. And you want that more than God, and you don't want to give this up. But God tells you, you can't serve two different masters. You're going to hate the one and love the other. So if you find yourself not praising God, right, examine yourself and say to yourself, is there some sin that I like more than God? What is this thing that I will not give up, that I'll tell God, okay, you can have this much, but no more. You can't have this. Now, I'm not talking about some sin that you're aware of and that you're trying to, uh, you know, deal with where you've asked God for forgiveness and you've asked him for help and, you know, you're doing everything that you, come, that you can to overcome it. I'm talking about sin that you're not doing that to, sin that you savor, sin that you relish, sin that you just let melt on your tongue, just melt in your mouth and just feel its flavor. That's the kind of sin that I'm talking about. This is the sin that keeps you from praising God. Our hearts don't praise God when we praise sin. And even if it's not that strong one sin that you're not willing to give up, is there some just general sinful worldliness that you just kind of just kind of hang on to and that's it? You know, another reason for not praising God when we have difficult praising God is that we don't rely on God, but we rely on ourselves. 
And so that can really see itself in two different ways. One is this proud that we do everything way, and the other is this worry and fear because we feel like we have to do everything by ourselves. And so if we look at this, the, this prideful way like that, we really don't think that we need God. We think that we can do it ourselves. We think that we can do it all on our own. We think that we can do it all on our own strength. And so how thankful can you be to something you don't think you need? How can you praise someone for believing that you did it yourself? Why would I praise God for something that I did myself, that I did to my own strength? And that's where that comes from, relying on yourself. The other thing is if, if we start to rely on ourselves too much, then we go down that road of anxiety, that road of worry, that road of fear, because we think that we have to do it all on our own. We have to do it all on our own strength. We have to rely on ourselves, and we can't do it. So these worries and these fears begin to overwhelm us, and they drive out that praise from God. And all we see is this anxiety and this fear and this worry, and there is no praising of God. So these are kind of like the internal things, but what about those external things? What about those Pharisees that are in the passage who are, who are yelling at Jesus, rebuke him, who are rebuking Jesus for not rebuking him? We might have these people in our lives as well. We might have these Pharisees. You might be the only Christian in your family or the only Christian at school, or the only Christian at work. You may be married to an unbeliever. You may have an angry, unbelieving child in the house. And these people might be on the lookout. They might know you're a Christian. They might be on the lookout for everything that you do wrong. And as soon as you do something wrong, bam, it's right in your face right away. And they're calling you a hypocrite. They're doing this. And you might start to believe them. And you might start to listen to them. And it might start driving that praise away from you. So instead of going to God and asking him for forgiveness if they're right and praising God that he forgives us when we go through these things, we end up just this, you know, crumbling and we don't praise God because that becomes the overwhelming force in our life. Don't let them stop you from praising God. Praise God even if you're the only one. You're still God's child. He's still forgiven you from your sins. You are children of God in a crooked and a twisted generation, and you shine like lights to the earth, so don't let them stop. You know, in life we have just normal ups and downs. It's just, that's just part of how life is. And so sometimes these normal ups and downs will prevent us from praising God as well. And we go through, we go through dry spells. We're not always on top. It's just a normal ebb and flow. So listen to David as he describes this in poetic words from the Psalms. He says this. He says, My soul thirsts for you. My flesh, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. These are the words of someone that's going through a dry spell. It's a dry land. There is no water. It's hard to praise God during these times. Sometimes it's hard just to muster up faith just to keep on going during these times. And sometimes it's even worse than that. Sometimes it's suffering that we go through. And it's hard to praise God during these suffering times. Sometimes if we suffer enough, it's hard to even take our eyes off ourselves. We're just so focused on ourselves. We're so focused on what we're going through because this suffering is just, it's just right there. Every time you turn around, you see it. Job was a righteous man in the Old Testament, Job. He was so righteous that God allowed Satan to attack him. He was saying, look at Job. Look at my servant. Look at how righteous he is. 
And Satan says, well, take that away from him. He's going to curse you. And so God allows Satan to attack Job. Job loses almost everything. He loses his children. He uses his, loses his land. He loses his income. He loses his, his health, so he ends up just uh, sitting, sitting down with, with nothing and just in constant pain the whole time. He loses the respect of his peers. He loses the respect of everyone. These people who used to look up to him now look down at him as they walk by, and they make fun of him. And Job does praise God. But he doesn't praise God all through the book of Job. There's times when he's not praising God. We come to Job chapter 3, and he says this, After this, Job opened his mouth, and he cursed the day of his birth. He said, Let the day perish in which I was born, and the night that said a man is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day, terrify it. Job spends the entire chapter 3 cursing the day that he was born. An entire chapter of the Bible, an entire chapter of the Bible devoted to one man who's suffering so much he just curses the day that he was even born. Suffering is hard. It's either going to lead us to God, who is our rock, our strength, our relief and comforter, or it's going to lead us away. But God calls us to rejoice. He calls us to praise during suffering. Romans 8, 5 says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. We can't go through suffering. We can't praise God through suffering without the help of the Holy Spirit. And this passage is clear. God's love is important to our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. It's in the same sentence that says, rejoice in your suffering. So how do we praise God during our suffering? If you want to open up your Bible to Psalms 42, um, I didn't get the overheads uh, sent in time. Um, and actually, what happened was we sent it, but there was like no attachment to it. So, <laughs> so, so Rachel does her stuff, gets this blank thing. She's like, okay, now what do I do with this? <laughs> Either this is going to be a very short message, or there's like, no, <laughs> she didn't really say that. But <laughs> so anyway, Psalms 42, we want to look at that. And uh, um, I don't have the passage for the first part, but I do for the second part that we're going to look at. But in the first, actually, I can look at my Bible too. I guess I've got one of these here. Um, hang on one second. <laughs> it's like the old-fashioned way. Okay, I'll look at the Bible. <laughs> Mickey's dad was a pastor for 50 years, so I saw him do this once. I know it works. <laughs> yeah, of course, I don't have the right glasses on here. So. All right, this is what happens when you get old. All right, starting in verse 2. Uh, it says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and be appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say continually to me, where is your God? His tears have been his food day and night. He cries out to God, why have you forgotten me? But he doesn't stay there, right? That's where he starts. That's where he feels. It's like that Job, that's where he is. But he goes on from there because he wants to praise God. So he fights for joy, and now he starts talking to himself in a 
good way, not that oddball way. But so Psalms 42 says this. The next going on, starting in verse 5. He says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? And he says, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Um, Then the very next verse. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon from Mount Mizar. He tells himself hope in God. He says, I will praise God again. Even though he's at this point, even though he's at this point that Job is, he says, I will praise God again. And he tells himself, hope in God. Why are you downcast, my soul? And then he tells God, he says, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, Hermon, and Mount Zira. And remember David the psalmist who was going through the dry and weary land? He doesn't give up either. He fights and he looks to God. And he says this, he says, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. And my lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. Job, in the middle of his suffering, book is 40 chapters long, 40 in, verse, in chapter 13, Job says this. So it's right in the middle of his suffering. He says, though he slay me, I will hope in him. And if you ever notice that, people who go through suffering and come out the other side are the ones that see God the clearest. They're the ones who can praise God the most. You can talk to Ken who... Uh, had cancer and God has cured him. He's been with us all these years and he praises God because he knows what the depths were that God took him out of. Just listen to this from uh, Charles Spurgeon. He says, the greatness of goodness, the greatness of goodness is on some occasions made manifest by the evil from which it rescues us. Nobody knows the blessings of health as well as he who has been tortured with pain in every limb. Then he blesses Jehovah Rapha, the healing Lord, for his restoration. He goes on when he's talking about Jonah. He says, we may imagine what the bottom of the sea is like and conceive what it must be to be borne down to the lowest depths where seaweed is wrapped about a dead man's brow. Yet I assure you, our imaginations but poorly realize what Jonah experienced when the floods encompassed him and he sank to the bottom of the sea. When the Lord brought up his life from corruption, then he had a strong, vivid memory of the great goodness of God, knowing that he had been delivered from such depth. And so, you know, in this, in this passage where they're all praising God and stuff, I'm sure that some of them had gone through that. And they're remembering what they went through, and they're praising God for these different things. So that comes to another question, right? Because we know that we should praise God. And we know that we just talked about a couple of these obstacles. Actually, one we didn't talk about. Sometimes new Christians, brand new Christians, people who have just become converted, don't really know how to praise God. And they might not have that history that's on there. So it might come somewhat difficult because they don't have that history. But as you read, as you fellowship, and as you learn more, God's going to reveal more and more. And you will praise him more and more. But so what about who's a Christian who's been a Christian for a while and they just don't praise God very much? Or they don't feel like they praise Him enough or they just plain don't feel like they uh, know how to praise Him. 
Or maybe they rate their entire spiritual health on whether they praise God or not. And everything is based on this one thing. Is there any hope for these people? Does God condemn you because you don't praise him enough? Does God condemn you because you don't praise him in the exact right way? No, God doesn't condemn us. We might feel like that at times, right? But stop and think about it, okay? Think about what God has done. When we were dead in our sins, he saved us. How many dead people praise God? When we were enemies of God, he died for us. How many enemies praise God? None at all. And God isn't out there to judge us for this. He wouldn't have gone through all this work to come to earth, to suffer, to die, to save us, just to kick us out because we don't praise him, just because we're not thankful enough for what he does. It's contrary. It goes against everything that we know about God. So what do we know about God? We know that he died to forgive all of our sins. And if this not praising is one of our sins, he died to forgive that as well. He forgives our past sins, our present sins, and he forgives our future sins. It's God who sanctifies us. It's God who makes us holy. It's God who makes us perfect. It's God who began a good work in us, and it's God who will bring that good work unto completion. And we know that Christ has compassion for us. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So how do we praise God? We praise him by remembering. We praise him by thinking. We praise him by realizing. We praise him, we praise him by remembering what he did for us. By remembering what he did for others. We praise him by thinking about his promises. And by thinking about what he will do. These scripture promises. We praise him by realizing who he is. We praise him by realizing that he is so praiseworthy that the stones themselves will praise him if we don't praise him. So, let's just look at a couple examples of people praising him. So we kind of get an idea of what this looks like and why were they praising God. First of all, Mary, the mother of Jesus. She praises God because God is a God of promises. She's pregnant with Jesus. She goes to see Elizabeth, her husband. Husband. I think I just made that up. <laughs> this is actually an ancient Near East custom. No, 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 no. I, no, I'm definitely making that up. So, it's not a husband. It's a cousin. So <laughs> she, goes to, she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Her cousin Elizabeth is, is not married. She's pregnant. Boy, I'm struggling here. <laughs> her husband is married to her, to her unborn child. <laughs> I can take a water and a little break here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Deep breath. All right. <laughs> you know what it was? I looked at the time and I'm like, oh no, I got like 20 more pages to go through. So <laughs> I don't really. <laughs> so. <laughs> okay, there, there we go. So, all right. Elizabeth wasn't this in the case. <laughs> Here's what happened Mary's pregnant with Jesus. Elizabeth, her cousin, is, is pregnant with. John the Baptist. Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. As soon as she walks in there, John the Baptist, in the womb, leaps for joy because Jesus is in Mary's womb in the same house. And Elizabeth realizes this. They all realize what's going on. And she says, blessed is she, meaning Mary, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. She believed God, and Mary then praises God, saying, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary praises God because God is a God of promises. 
The disciples praise God because God is a God who is in control of all things. They're at sea. They're in a ship or a boat. They're fishermen. They're used to all of this stuff. A huge storm comes in. The waves and the sea, they think that they're going to die. What's Jesus doing? He's sleeping in the boat. So they wake him up. They're panicked. And he instantly rebukes the wind and the sea. It goes from a huge storm, huge waves, huge winds, everything, to complete calm. And they marveled at it. And they said, what sort of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So they praise God because God is in control of all things. Isaiah praises God because, because God is a holy God. Isaiah uh, sees the Lord sitting on a throne. He's high and he's lifted up. And uh, when he speaks, the foundation of the threshold itself begins to shake. And there's seraphim that are there, and they're praising God. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah sees that, and he responds. He says, woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, seen the Lord of, of hosts. And he praises God because God is a holy God. The blind beggar, he praises God because God is a God who hears our cries. Here's the beggar. He's sitting on the side of the road, and this big crowd starts going by. This is the best time to beg, right, when the people are there. So there's this whole crowd that's going by, and he says, what's going on? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth is going by. So he stops begging, and he starts crying out to Jesus. And he says, Son of David, have mercy on me. And they try to get him to stop talking. They try to get him to stop yelling. And he yells even louder. He says, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus does. And he heals him. And everyone, the blind man, the crowds, they're all glorifying God. Because God is a God who hears our cries. The paralytic and his friends praise God because he's a God who forgives sins. This guy is paralyzed. He's lying on a mat. Four of his friends take him. They go to the place, into the house where Jesus is. It's completely packed. It's completely crammed. They can't get in. They climb up onto the roof. They tear the shingles off. They lower him down in front of Jesus. Jesus looks at him and he says, he looks at them. He looks at their faith. He says, your sins are forgiven. Everyone looks at him. The Pharisees are there like, how can he say he forgives sins? And Jesus says, so you know that I have the authority to forgive sins. He tells the man, rise, stand up, walk. And the man does. He rises up and walks as proof that Jesus forgives sins. So everyone there praises God because he is a God who forgives sins. Mary, Martha, Lazarus praise God because he's a God who gives life. Lazarus is sick. Lazarus dies. Jesus and his disciples then, after he's dead, go to the house and his sister comes out, and she's talking to Jesus. She's like, oh, if only you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And she says, I know he's going to rise at the resurrection of the last day. And then Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus asked her, do you believe this? She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. You are the Son of God who is coming to the world. Jesus then raises Lazarus from the dead. And they glorify God because he's a God who gives life. The thief on the cross praises God because he's a God who invites him to spend eternity with him.
He's on the cross. And Jesus says, or the thief says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, truly, I tell you, this day you will be with me in paradise. And his disciples earlier, Jesus had said to them, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would, would I have I told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself, that where I am going, you may be also. So they praise him because he's a God who invites him to paradise, to eternity, and they will be with him forever and ever. And so, how do we praise God at home during the week? We come together on Sunday morning, and as a body, we, we praise him. And at Care Group this last week, Bill O'Grady and I were talking about this, worshiping and praising. And, and he said, you know, sometimes he said, we don't, Praise God at church, or maybe we don't know how to praise God at church because we don't praise him during the week. And so, how do we praise God during the week? And, you know, everyone is made different, right? And so they have different ways that they see God the best, and it, and it kind of lends itself towards praising God the best. And so, for some people, it's music. And when they listen to music, they just get into that worshipful time, into that praise time. And so listen to just a couple verses of this, of this song, and you probably recognize this. How deep the Father's love for us. I, I would sing if I could, but <laughs> trust me, you're better off just paying attention as I take these words. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out from among the scoffers. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. For some of us, it's reading. We read our Bible or we read, um, you know, other uh, words. For me, this is the way that I praise God the best. Is that when I'm reading, for me, I always call them the old dead guys. But, you know, the Puritans and, and Charles Spurgeon and J.C. Ryle. And sometimes I'll be at work and I'll be in the break and I'll be reading like a J.C. Ryle uh, book. And I'll be like in the middle of a chapter and I have to stop. In the middle of a page I have to stop. In the middle of a sentence I have to stop and just praise God as it just understands what it is that he's done for us or this, or this thing. And so for me, it's through reading. But everyone is, is different. For others, it's the fellowship of other people. It's that iron sharpens iron where we need to be with other, with other believers so that we worship God and we feed and we build ourselves. And that. that's why we have care groups. But it's more than that. It's spending time together and just hanging out and just talking about um, these different things. I remember talking, uh, Mickey's dad had passed away a while ago, and I was talking to her mom uh, sometime after that. I said, what do you miss most about dad being gone? What is the one thing that you miss most? And she said, I miss talking about spiritual things. She said, we used to talk about spiritual things. And she said, it seems nowadays that no one wants to talk about spiritual things. But for her, it was that fellowship time, that time that they just sat around and they talked about spiritual things. Another uh, way of just, is just getting outside, getting out into the creation, seeing God and just being outside. This is, uh, you know, this is, this is God's creation. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, night to night reveals knowledge. So for some, it's just taking a walk, a prayer walk, or hiking, or camping, or fishing. Well, years back, we had one of the, the uh, 
E-teens that came up and they stayed with us. And we had about three or four girls, I think, that stayed with us for the week. And I remember one of the girls, on the side of our house, we have a little stream that comes down and it's a little wooded area. And uh, Mickey had put a little bench out there and we got like a little bridge to go over. And every morning, this girl would get up, she would put on her sweatshirt, she'd go over the bridge, she'd go up the little trail and she would sit down on this bench. And she would be reading her Bible and she'd be praising God just sitting out on the bench. She'd listen to the stream, she'd listen to the birds and she would just... just it's, it's the way that you worship God the best, the easiest like that. Everybody else would be inside, you know, making bagels and pancakes and doing this, and she would be out there with her sweatshirt, uh, just praising God because of that. So those are just some of the different ways. Try to think about it. What is it that gives you that worship time during the week so you can praise God during the week? And, you know, some of us were born in Minnesota <laughs> from a Finnish family, going to a Lutheran church, <laughs> that being me. So you can imagine how expressive these people are who praise God, Minnesotans, Lutheran church, that Scandinavian background, you know, they don't praise, they don't, you know, expression isn't a big deal for them. So I always kind of face the thing with, I, I always feel like I don't praise God as much as I want to. I want to praise him more, and that desire to praise him in there, but I don't always know how to do it. So sometimes that kind of frustrating thing, and I always go back to the one fact, that although I don't praise him now the way I want to, I know when I'm in heaven that I will praise him then. Because this story, right, these people are looking for the Messiah. And they see the Messiah face to face. And there's something different about this time, right? Because God, Jesus has never commanded this praise before. He's always saying, don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone. But now is the time. God's revealing who this is. This is Christ. This is the Savior of the world in this time. And so they see Christ face to face. And they instantly, not only do they, do they praise him, but they're taking palm branches out. And they're taking their jackets and they're throwing them on the ground so that the donkey or colt or whatever it's called doesn't even uh, touch, the, uh, touch the ground. And they're, just, and they're doing this. But we're going to have that same thing. We're going to see Christ face face. And we will praise him then. Listen to this from Revelations. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We will then praise him the way we wish we could now. But we don't have to wait until then to praise God. We can praise him right now because he's with us. And the band can come up. I just want to close on this one last thought. And this is uh, Charles Spurgeon. And he says this. He says, the burden of their song was of Christ present in their midst. I do not think that they would rejoice so loudly or so sweetly if he had not been there. That was the source and the center of their mirth. It was the king riding upon a colt. It was the king triumphant. They could not, they could not be glad when he revealed himself. And then he says this, Behold, our king is here. You know, whenever two or three or more are gathered, he is in our midst. He is here now. We don't have to wait until that day. That's a day to look forward to, but it's not a day that we have to wait for. We can praise God.
now. Father God, we come before you, and uh, we just thank you, Lord, that you are the Lord of Lords, that you are the King of Kings, that you are that King triumphant, Lord, that you revealed on that Palm Sunday as you came into Jerusalem, getting ready for the Passover, the Passover Lamb. And Lord, we want to praise you. And Holy Spirit, we cry out that you will help us to praise you. I pray that you will let us know who you are. Let us know the God who is so praiseworthy that if we don't praise, the very stones themselves will praise you. The very creation itself will praise you. So Lord, let us see that. We can't see that on our own. Mere words won't do it, whether they're said or they're written. But only you can breathe life into this. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you'll breathe life. Let us be people who praise you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.